This morning, um, we are finishing this series called Be Still. And I think in the past two weeks, all of our pastors, you know, uh, even our former pastor Donnie last week, and as well as Pastor Matt, our lead pastor, I think we've all said at one time or one point that we all struggle with this. And, and if you're struggling with this idea and this practice of being still, don't be alarmed. You're not alone. Your pastors of Journey Church are still struggling with it. So, all right, so you're not alone in this. You're not alone in this journey of this practice of being still. And just to quickly recap the first week, Pastor Matt gave us a, Matt gave us a reality check on us, what it means to, what, what it is between busyness and stillness, right? That we think that keeping it busy equals faithfulness to the church or faithfulness to your marriage or faithfulness to your life and so on and so forth, right? That busyness is actually does not equal faithfulness. It's this myth that we have. I don't know where it came from, but the more we're busy, that we think that we're more we're faithful, which is, which is not. Not only that, there's a second myth that, that goes along with it is that the busyness equals worth and value. That worth and value. This is something that I struggled with for a long time. I thought if I put my life and my time into the things I was doing with, with all the filled my schedule with the things that I need to do, then I was valuable, that I was worth it, that my work was worth it, the things I was doing was worth it. Again, a myth. It, 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 it doesn't work that way. And last week, our former Donnie, uh, pa- pastor, Donnie, which was really good to see him, right, if you got to see him last week, um, gave us a God's better way of being still, right, God's better of being still. And, and it goes like this. His better way includes his promised access to his provision, plus Promised access to his authority plus promised access to his character equals his perfect peace in the middle of the life that we call what we do, right? In the middle of the things that we do, in the middle of all of what's going on. So I encourage you to go back and listen to the past two sermons if you have not and if you missed it. Here is our main scripture for this series, and this is a read-along scripture this morning. Uh, We, you, you, you're special, so you get two read-along scriptures this morning. One in the beginning and one at the end. Aren't you, aren't you glad, right? Aren't you, we get to read the Bible, then, which is awesome. So open up to Psalm 4610. All right, Psalm 4610. And if you have been following us in this Be Still series, you already know what this verse is, okay? So Psalm 4610. I'm, uh, I'll be reading uh, the NLT version of this. It says this. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Have those words sunken into your heart yet? Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. What has God been teaching you in these past two weeks of this be still? If we're honest with ourselves, I think we're all struggling. <laughs> I think we're all struggling. No matter what age, I think we're all struggling. And we'll continue to struggle. The young ones, the, the teenagers, the young adults, the married without kids, the married with kids, young and older kids, those who are approach, approaching their golden birthday or their jubilee years, those who are retired, I think being still is a challenge for all of us. Now, please don't get confused with this command to be still 
as uh, living a life out in the boondock somewhere, cut off from everybody, one off the grid and whatnot. That's not what being still means, or, or that the only way to do is nothing. This idea, this practice of being still, what we read in Psalm 46, is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. It's active in what we do in being still, and we're going to learn about that today. It's not put up, put up your feet up on the couch and, uh, and be a couch potato. That's not this being still. That's not what it means to be still. That's not what God calls us to do. You see, this life that we have is full of moving parts, isn't it? It's just moving constantly. And these moving parts are actually signs of life, that it is happening. Just as a baby in the womb is moving, and that's the sign of life, that it's happened, there's life forming and happening, to prove that there's life, the life that of working, going to church, all the family gatherings, traveling, vacations, going on missions, like ASP, all right? So again, after second service, it's a little plug again. Go, go and, uh, and uh, uh, have an interest meeting. Doing life groups together. All of these things that we do are signs of life, that it's happening. As we see in Genesis, we see God working, right? God working. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Out of nothing, then God, God starts to make something, okay? Do you remember what happened in day one? What happened in day one? Let there be light, okay? Day and night. Day two, the sky and the seas got created. Day three, God created land and vegetation. Day four, star, sun, and moon got created. Day five, sea creatures and birds. And day six, animals and mankind. And day seven, he rested. He created. He was making life out of nothing. I'm pretty sure when God said, let there be light, it wasn't this light switch going on. I'm pretty sure when God said, let there be light, it was this brilliant, loud, phenomenal moment that was happening at, when God said, let there be light, because he is God. I'm pretty sure when God created the land and the seas and the trees and the animals, there was this gigantic moment of life happening all over the earth. It was not a quiet one. Life was happening for six days. From the empty quietness to animals bellowing, fires roaring, winds howling, and waves crashing. I think even from the beginning, I think God knew that life was not going to be quiet, that it was going to be busy, that it was going to be full of sounds and, and, and other things that, that may distract us. And he gives us that example. But because he knew us, but because he knew us, he also gives us an example of rest. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says this, so the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. It is crucial to note here that when it says God rested, it doesn't mean that he was tired from his work or that he was worn out, worn down from his work of creation. Unlike us, when we, we look forward to our day off, right? That we just want to just binge on Netflix and eat some popcorn and get fat, right? I mean, that's what we look forward to. But God doesn't do that here. In Genesis 1.31, it says this, that God saw all that he had made, and it was very good 
indeed. For God, this resting, for God, this, this idea of rest is being delighted and enjoying what he had just created. Delighting and enjoying what he had just created. He was delighted in the life that was happening. So I wonder how many of us are delighted in the life that is happening right now. How many of us are delighted? I'm not talking about circumstantial delight, because circumstantial delight is here today and gone tomorrow. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But this delight is in God. Delighting in, the, delighting in God despite the circumstances or situations of your life. Delighting in God knowing his promises are true no matter what kind of job you have or what kind of financial status that you have, what kind of relationship status looks like for you in your life, no matter what your family situation looks like, this delighting in God is knowing his promises are true. You know, last week I took my, uh, my students to um, Enfuge, our, our summer camp, and during that week, I was a little bit taken back because we usually sung most updated songs. And, and the worship leader brought some old hymns back. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is like speaking to my soul right now. You know, and, and all the kids are like, what is happening, right? And so and you guys don't know the, the hymn, Because He Lives, right? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know. He what? He holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. Man, what words, what truth. It's delight. This delight is knowing that because Jesus lives, that we can face the life that's coming tomorrow. So again, I wonder how many of us here have taken time to delight in God in his promises, in his truth. God was delighted in himself in the creation that he had created because he can. He is God. But here's another great truth. He was delighted and rested in knowing that the relationship that he was about to have with his humanity, with his creation. He could not wait to have that relationship with humanity. The mankind who created in the image of him. I, I mean, this, this is what this whole series is about, of, of Be Still is about. To delight and to rest in him. Again, it's not a passive thing. It's an active pursuit. It isn't a series to teach you how to do nothing or a series how to stop doing life because we can't do that. But it's a series about his plan for us to experience and enjoy his presence in the midst of the bustle of life. Let me say it again. God's plan for you and I, God's plan for you and I is for us to experience and enjoy his presence in the midst of life. He, wants, he wanted us to enjoy all that he created. He desired for us to have communion with him. Be, to be still is to experience and enjoy his presence in the midst of life. That's what be still means. It's, it's not to do nothing, but it is to enjoy and experience his presence. You see, in the deep part of all of 8 billion souls on this earth, there is a desire to know him and desire to enjoy him, the desire to experience him, the desire to delight in him. But because, because since the beginning of God, 
That's what God has created for all humanity to do, to enjoy and experience his presence. But what we've done just says what Adam and Eve had done. We've traded that desire for something else. We've traded God for something else. And anything that fills the void of our souls other than God is sin. Period. Hatred, lies, riches and fame, sexual identity, sexual immorality, envy, gossip, greed, unrighteousness, wickedness, pride, arrogance, unloving, unmerciful, God-haters. All of these things and more, there's, the list goes on and on of the things that we've traded our desires with. So no wonder why humanity is so restless. Because God promises us that, that we will be rested when we desire him. But we've traded all of that desires for other things of this world. A.W. Tozer says this in his book, The Experience, the Presence of God. If you have not read this book yet, I highly encourage you to do so. It is an amazing, amazing book. He says this, Unless and until that desire for God is fully met, the human soul remains restless. Unless and until that desire for God is fully met, the human soul remains restless. A true rest comes when our hearts are delighted in God. So the question remains then, how? How do we get to this place? How do we have this communion with him? How do we, how do we delight in him in the chaos of life? Because we all can't just stop working, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of not possible. We can't just stop doing life. We can't just stop being mothers and fathers and students and so on and so forth. Well, the great thing about this word of God that we hold in our hands, it shows us how. It's, it's really awesome. <laughs> it shows us how. And the greatest example that we can look from is the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus. And if you find anybody else than the life of Jesus that you can give me a better example with, I would love to hear it. <laughs> but we're going to look at the life of Jesus together this morning. You see, Jesus himself had a ministry. He had work that required work. He was working to make things new. He was teaching. He was healing. He was building relationships. He was traveling. He was working. He was doing ministry. When we read the Gospels of Matthew, Luke, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we tend to focus so much on the miracles, the parables, and the teachings of Jesus that we often tend to meet, miss what made him able to go and do these miracles and do these teachings and tell these parables. We often miss those parts. All four Gospels record Jesus taking rest and taking time away to pray in the midst of his ministry and work to be able to continue to do the work that God has called him to do. Before we move on, though, we have to fundamentally understand that Jesus was 100% God, fully human and fully God. Fully human, fully God. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. God promised this good news a long time ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son in his earthly life. He was born into King David's family line, fully human. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord, fully God. Why is this important? It's important because although Jesus was fully God, Jesus had physical human limitations just as you and I would. And it's crucial to understand that we can completely brush off what Jesus is doing because he was fully God. 
But we have to understand this. Jesus understood what it means to be human, what it meant to be you and I. He understood the working life. He understood the building relationship part of life. He understood the, the, the grief of life. He understood all of that because he was fully human, a working, doing life human. So with that in mind, let's take a look at the life of Jesus on, on his example of being still. We're looking at three things today. First is this. Jesus made solitary prayer as priority. He made solitary prayer as his priority. Let's read from Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. If you look at Mark chapter 1, up until verse 34, Mark gives a very quick synopsis of what is happening in Jesus' life. It's in those 34 verses, here's what's happening. You guys ready? Jesus is baptized. He is tempted in the desert. He does ministry in Galilee to pro proclaim the goodness of God and the kingdom of God. He calls his first disciples. He had driven out unclean spirits, and he had healed many, those who were with diseases. This is just 34 verses. That is a lot. And then from 36 and on, Jesus continues to preach in Galilee. Like, his work is not done. And in the midst of all that happening, Mark slips in this verse. Very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Why in the world Mark put this in the middle of Jesus' ministry? He could have. Mark definitely could have recorded just all of Jesus' doings. All of his miracles that he was doing. All the working that he was doing. He could have. But he puts verse 35 in. Here's why, I think. I think Jesus understood the importance of making time for spiritual rest in the midst of life. In the midst of life. The passage says that Jesus got up before the sun even rose. Jesus knew the tremendous work that he had just done, and he was getting prepared to do the work that he was about to do again in Galilee. The teachings, the preaching, the talking with people. See, Jesus prioritized his time alone with his heavenly father more than sleep. When I was a junior in high school, I, uh, um, I was a very angry child at a junior in high school. And if you know me, you're like, me, angry? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really impossible to believe. But I was an angry child. Um, here's why. I grew up in Kansas. Go Chiefs, right? Um, yeah, all right? So if, I'm not a bandwagon fan, all right? If you, okay, it's, all right, anyways. I grew up in Kansas. Um, that's where I grew up. That's where my life was. Uh, and my junior year, my parents moved to Chicago. And I was angry because I wasn't able to finish out my high school with all of my buddies. Okay? Uh, in my junior year with my orchestra, I had the chance to play at the Carnegie Hall. <laughs> so that dream got crushed, right? Um, I, was, uh, I, I was leaving my familiarity, my, my space, um, I was leaving the hopes and dreams of going to college with all of my buddies as well. So, I'm angry at this point, right? I think I was angry more at God for what was happening because I think I was pretty in tune of, of just understanding what a pastor's kid life looks like um, in, in terms of that. But I was angry at God, not so at my parents, but I'm sure being a teenager, I lashed at my parents. <laughs> right? I think I definitely lashed out on my parents. And, and they, they saw it, right? Thankfully, they understood my anger. They understood where I was coming from. Um, 
So in the Korean churches, there's a model that they follow after Mark 1.35. And, and they have these early morning prayer services that happen from 5.30 till like 6.30 or so. Before the sun rises, people gather to pray from Monday through Friday. <clears throat> and obviously, as a 16-year-old, uh, I don't want anything to do with that, right? Because uh, let, me, let me get a hand for your teenager and you like to sleep at 5.30 in the morning, yeah? Okay, cool, perfect. All right, all of you guys, fantastic, all right? Um, and with the sheer wisdom and the brilliance of my parents and recognizing my anger that I had in my heart, they started to wake me up at 5 o'clock in the morning and take me along with them to the prayer service at 5.30. Um, it was not fun. <laughs> it was not fun. I mean, think about it. You know, it's, just, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. Not only that, they, quote-unquote, encouraged me to play the violin for the worship service, you know. Yeah, you know, just to add something another with it. For the whole school year, everybody, all right? I'm talking fall through until spring semester ended. This is before school started. As soon as the service ended, I was on my way to school, okay? So I'm tired and all of that. Let me ask you, do you think I loved it? No, no, definitely not. I did not love it. But here's the craziest thing. Here's the craziest thing. Even though with the new school and the new friends and the new church and the anger that I was holding inside towards God, slowly turned into thankfulness and worship. Into thankfulness and worship. It took a while. Okay? I'm not telling you that this happened like overnight. Like one time I was like, I am thankful. You know, no, it was like, it was just, it took a while. But when I took time to pray and worship in solitude in those early mornings, God won my heart over. God won my heart over. See, life was happening around me. The enemy was telling me lies about what, what my life was, how it wasn't worth it because I didn't do all these things I wanted to do. But when I finally gave my heart and my prayer as priority, God changed my heart. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this morning to make solitary prayer as a priority. You need this time with God and God alone. Whether it be early in the morning before the sun rises, or whether it be late at night when the moon is shining, whether it be in the middle of the bustle of the day, that you need to find time, at least 5, 10, 15 minutes of your time, just to be alone with God in solitary in prayer with Him. This is what Jesus sets an example for us. In the 24 hours that we have, 10, 15 minutes is totally possible. It is completely possible. Whatever it is that you do, spend time with your Heavenly Father in solitude. Secondly, Jesus made being still a habit. He made a habit. Habits are something that is repeated on a daily basis, and all of us have habits, good and bad, good and bad. A couple of examples that you might relate to of the th things of habits is uh, as soon as you wake up, you're on your phone. Anyone? Okay, all right. I see a couple of hands here, okay? If you're not raising your hand, then I don't know. All right, how about this one? Uh, making a cup of coffee or tea before you even brush your teeth. Anybody? Is that a habit for anyone? Habit for anyone. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, how about this one? Working out before you go to work. Okay, working out after you work. Not working out at all. I mean, <laughs> okay, all right, so I'm just making, I'm just gauging the, 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 the room here. Okay, how about when you go to your office 
Or when you go to sit down at your kitchen table, you, like, you start to write out what your day looks like. Anyone? Okay. All right. A couple of people here. Okay. Do you journal? Anyone journal as a habit? Okay. So we all have habits. Every single one of us has habits, whatever it's good and bad. Luke, in chapter 5, records Jesus' habit. It's so cool. It's so cool. All right, let's look at it together. But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and be healed of their sickness. Again, Jesus had called, just called Simon Peter, okay, to follow him, to be healed. He just healed a man with leprosy. By now, the news of what Jesus was doing was spreading like wildfire everywhere. People are coming from every place and, and to hear his teaching and to be healed. And, and we read this, we could go back to verse 15. If we read this verse, we go, yes, Jesus, you're so famous right now. Like, you're more hot than Taylor Swift right now. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it was widely popular of what was happening in Jesus' time. And then Luke writes this in verse 16, Jesus' habit, yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and he prayed. When people were gathering to see him, to hear him, to be healed by him, when people were traveling miles upon miles, when people were using their paycheck to come see Jesus, and they would get to the place where Twitter said that Jesus would be, right? He wouldn't be there. Why? Because he often withdrew to deserted places. Not because he got tired of people. Not because he didn't like people. Because he understood the fundamentals of spending time with God, his heavenly father was far more important for him to be able to do the things that he was called to do. This right here was far more important than the things that we have to do. Because if the things that we have to do, if, if the spending time with God isn't there, the things that we have to do has a compass that goes everywhere. But if we know our solitude time and in, in, in making a habit to be with Jesus, with, to, be with, to be with God, then our compass of the things that we do is completely all for God's glory, all for him. Again, this wasn't just a once a year or twice a year. This was he often withdrew, often the daily routine of Jesus to spend time with God and be still. This wasn't a forced choice or forced habit, but it was something that was necessary for Jesus to do to be able to do the work that he was called to do here on this earth. You and I were not made to be busy 24-7, 365 days a year. This is not how God designed us. This is not the design of God. This is actually a lie from the enemy that we have to keep ourselves busy. And Jesus understood that for himself as well. This habit of spending time with God, you know, will look different for everyone here. Even Jesus had many different places. Again, look at it. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places. It's a plural. It's, a, it's plural. It didn't say a place that he went to every time. No, it was places that he had many places that he would find time to withdraw and to be with his heavenly father. Just Jesus himself and God. Some of you may be going on a hike or a walk. Some of you it may be taking a bath. Maybe doing something with your hands alone. 
Maybe sitting alone just in a quiet place that you know of. Maybe the back porch or the front porch. Or sometimes when I, what I used to do in, in school, just if I needed time with God, I just went to the bathrooms because that was the quietest place I could find. For me, right now in my life, and I have this routine, this habit going. A couple days a week, uh, I go fishing. I get up early in the morning, like, like 5.30, 6 o'clock, and I go fishing by myself. By the water, just with my fishing poles and, and with God, and just, I just go out there. For me, it's a time for me to just surrender everything and just lay, that, lay it down in front of God and say, God, here, here it is. I, I don't know what my life is right now. I'm surrendering my worries. I'm surrendering about my family. I'm surrendering my, my own, own sinfulness. Lord, here is my time with you. Here's my time with you. And I just present it all before God. It's a habit that I've had for the past couple of years or so. And, and if you want to go fishing with me, please do it in a certain amount of time because this is, like, this is mine, okay? So <laughs> just, just giving you a little disclaimer, I love you all so much, but this, like, that, that is, that's, that's my time with God. That's that me and God alone with my Heavenly Father, and I get to spend just time with Him. Catching a fish is just a bonus. I mean, it's exciting when I catch one, you know, but most of the time I don't. I just... You know, but it's, it's a bonus for me. No matter the method, the most important thing here is that this habit has to be repeatable and sustainable. Repeatable and sustainable. Where you intentionally spend time with God alone. Again, vacations are not a habit. If vacation is a habit for you, then man, you're blessed, okay? Vacations are not a habit. Your time away with family is not a habit. Your habit is that something that you do on a daily basis that is repeatable and sustainable. So make Jesus, make God, this time alone, have a habit that is repeatable and sustainable. First, we looked at Jesus made solitary prayer as priority. Second, Jesus made being still a habit. Third, and lastly, Jesus took time to reflect on God's word. As we have just learned, Jesus' ministry had been widely known and, and many followed, but some did not like what Jesus was doing. I think we all know who, right? The Pharisees. Let's look at Luke chapter two, 6, verse 12. During those days, he went out to the mountains to pray and spend all night in prayer to God. During those days. What does Luke mean by during those days? You know, what is Luke implying here? Well, we have to look at the context, right? And we got we to gotta always go back to the context of the Bible, why the author is saying what he's saying. So when you read Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, Luke records a couple of instances where on a Sabbath, his disciples are doing manual labor of, of, of uh, picking a, a, a grain head to eat some food. And, and not only that, there's another instance in, in that same uh, verses 1 through 11, that Jesus is healing a man with a shriveled hand on a Sabbath. If you don't know the Jewish customs, in a nutshell, okay, this is like the very basic, okay, there's a lot more to what I'm about to say here, but the very basic is that in the Jewish custom, it was forbidden against the law and forbidden against a Sabbath for you to do any labor work, to do any work. I, I had to go read and then look at all of that and research and all that, there's very limited things that you can do on a Sabbath. 
I'm, I'm, I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. So if you want to go research that by yourself, go ahead. You'll be, you, your eyes are going to be like, what? Like, that's the law that the Jewish customs are? So, this is our second following along in your Bible. So let's take out your Bibles. All right, let's turn to Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to try to quickly go through this real quick um, <clears throat> and give you just a quick synopsis of what is happening here. Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Luke 1 says, On Sabbath he passed through the grain fields. His disciples were picking the heads of a grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating them. Again, what are they doing? Are they doing manual labor to get something in their body, right? They're doing manual labor. This is, and the Pharisees are looking at this and going, uh-uh, that's not allowed. I mean, come on. I mean, Pharisees, it, 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 what is that? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's so min, minimal to what is out there. But they were picking on this. So, verse 2, and, and verse 2, Pharisees are angry. So what do they do? They rebuke and question Jesus using the very scripture, okay, that they were teaching. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing this? What is not lawful on the Sabbath? Again, they're using scripture, the Torah, to rebuttal against what Jesus is doing. And what does Jesus do? Oh, he knows the scriptures too. So he says an example in scripture that they would understand. Verse 3, Jesus answered them, haven't you read about what David and those who were with him and when he was hungry, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. He even gave some to those who were with him. Jesus, again, Pharisees probably have no idea right now that Jesus knew the scriptures because, well, he kind of wrote the scriptures, you know what I mean? Like, they, they don't know this yet, okay? But, you know, Jesus really could have stopped here. <laughs> like, like, I look at this and I go, Jesus, you, you could have stopped. But he pokes the bear again one more time, okay? Look at verse 5. Then he told them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He basically told them, hey, you know that law that you're teaching? I wrote that. <laughs> he's basically saying, I am God. I am God. I am the Son of God. I am God, the fully God that you, that you worship. How do you think the Pharisees felt? I'm sure they were angry. Like, I, they are up to here by now. They're, they're furious what is happening here. Okay. And then verse 6. Look at verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered a synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Verse 7. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, so that, oh man, these, these Pharisees and scribes are so cunning, right? So that they could find a charge against him. They were just watching closely like a snake, like just to see if Jesus would do something that was against the Sabbath. They wanted to find fault in Jesus. And so Jesus, knowing their thoughts, but he knew their thoughts, this is verse 8, he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. And then Jesus asks this question to the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 9. That would expose them of their hypocrisy in what they were doing. Let me read it for us. I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save a life or to destroy it? 
In Matthew's account of the same story, of, uh, in Matthew 12, verses 11 through 12, it says this. He replied, Who among you, if he had a sheep to, that, that fell into the pit of the, uh, on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of, it, hold of it and lift it out? A person is far more worth, for, uh, worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Jesus was pointing out to the Pharisees, saying that you would pull out a sheep if they, on a Sabbath if it was stuck on a pit. So what's more important? Jesus is asking, what's more important? The man who is made in the image of God just as you believe, Pharisees, or the animal that God created who's not made in the image of God? He's exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Again, using their own teachings, their own knowledge to make, to realize their own hypocrisy. And Jesus, I mean, just cherry on top and goes, I'm going to heal your hand. <laughs> and he heals the guy with the shriveled hand. Then verse 11 says this. It says this. They, talking about the scribes and Pharisees, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. Why is this important? Because verse 11 and on of this chapter, Jesus knew what was to come. He knew the suffering that was about to have. He knew the persecutions. He knew the rejection and the crucifixion that was about to happen. So let's go back to verse 12. During those days, meaning the time that he is in turmoil with the pushback from the, the, the Pharisees and the, and the suffering and the crucifixion that he was about to have, went out to the mountains to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. During those days, knowing what was to come, all the oppositions that he had just faced, Jesus needed the strength from his Father to be able to face what was to come. Jesus himself, again, fully God, fully human, but he understood the very fundamental concept of the relationship. He could not do life without the Father. He could not do life without the Father. Just as Jesus, the fully God and fully human himself, that used the scriptures in the, in the, during the days that he was tempted, during the 40 days and 40 nights, just as Jesus used the scriptures to thwart and, to, and to, to push back the threats of the Pharisees, just as Jesus, in verse 12 of Luke, who was seeking after God's voice and his word in prayer, we are also called to remember the scriptures and to reflect upon his promises, his voice, and his word. Why? Because the enemy will do everything. He will do everything to try to get us as far away from God as possible. That is his goal. The enemy does not like getting us close. Like, he does not like us getting, to, getting closer to God. Period. He does not. He does not like us spending time with God. So he's going to try to make all the distractions possible to make our lives busier and busier and busier to let us forget about spending time with God. His only mission is to pull us away from the very source of life and the very source of joy that we get to experience and enjoy in his presence. Just as he did in the garden, of, garden with Adam and Eve when he asked, 
did God really say that? Did God really say that? He's going to even use the scriptures to twist God's word and to make us doubt in times of difficulties. The only way for us to fight the tactics and the lies of the enemy is through remembering the word and the voice and the promises and the faithfulness of God. Your source of strength only comes through him. Not, not the things of this world, not the voices of this world, not your works, not your power, not your finances, not your family, not your own will. It doesn't come from that. It comes from his word. Only through God's word. Only through remembering his faithfulness and promises. Only through his word that we can fight against the lies of the enemy. This morning, we're going to do something different here. Um, with these past three weeks, we've been kind of listening about what it means to be still. But it's one thing for us to hear the words of God and to, and to say, oh, yeah, yeah, let's be still together. Yeah, yeah, And to walk out these doors and just go vroom, right over our heads. It's one thing to do that, but it's also another thing to practice and to actually apply in what we've just learned. The solitary prayer. The, the habit of creating time with God and remembering his faithfulness and his promises. It's one thing to get out of here and, and let those words be just right here in this moment. But it's also another thing, again, to actually put it into practice. So this morning, we're going to do it. We're going to practice. On your chairs, you should have a half a sheet of paper. Half a sheet of paper. That gives you three prompts, three different prompts. If you need a pen, there's a pen in front of you or, or in the pockets of the chairs. <clears throat> Here's my encouragement to you this morning. Do not be in a hurry to finish this. This is not a race. This is not a Scantron test that, that you fill out as much as possible and you go to the front of the class and try to hand it in. This is not what this is about. This is about you and him, our Heavenly Father, connecting and you enjoying and experiencing his presence. And we can do it together, but we can also do it in, your, uh, in, in solitude as well, in solitary. Your lunch will be waiting for you, I promise. I, I really do promise, it'll be waiting for you. Your life out there, it'll be there, I promise. It'll, it'll start, it'll be waiting for you out there. Do not take this time to do it just to get to some places. I, listen, I encourage you, please don't. Take this time to enjoy and experience who God is and what he has for you in your life. So let's slow down this morning together. Let's slow down. First prompt is for you to pray. This is a time that you can lay everything down. Your worries, your anxieties, your depression, your thoughts, your addictions, your whatever that you're struggling with, your finances, your family, your marriage, your church, your life group, your work, your, your relationship status, your, your just whatever it is. This is a time for you to just lay it down in front of the cross and say, Lord, here it is. Here's my life, and I am not hiding it. I'm just going to give it all to you. 
I'm just going to give it all to you. And this is where you get to have that one-on-one relationship, that solitary moment with God. I encourage you, don't hide from him because he wants to be there for you. He wants to enjoy this time with you. Second prompt is this. For you to think that, you know, think of something that is ha- a habit that is repeatable and sustainable. This is the application process of it. Again, we can go out of here and, and just be like, all right, that, that was a good message or that was a great series. But if it's not repeatable and that's sustainable, then we're going to lose it. We're going to lose all of it. So think of a habit that is sustainable and repeatable for your spiritual rest. Don't think big. Don't think extravagant. Think small. Think small that's something that you can do every single day, five to ten minutes of your time out of your, out of your lives to have that habit of being with your Heavenly Father. Third prompt is for you to write all the things, all the times that God's faithfulness and His promises have been true and will be true. And then after just giving thanks of what He has done and what He will do. I'm going to give you that time and after some time, I'm going to pray us out. I'm going to pray us out. But my prayer when I say amen is not a, a, like, everybody go and leave. Like, this space is for you. If you need to stay here, I'll be here until the end of the day. If you need to stay here and just be with God, be with God. This is not a, a, a race. This is not to be in a hurry. This is a time that we get to practice what it means to be be still. So, after some time, I'm going to pray us out. And, and, it's just, and if you have to leave, and I, I understand, again, I understand. But if you're exiting the doors, I ask you, please give space and time for others to enjoy and just please exit quietly. That's, that's all I ask. But right now, let's just enjoy God together. Let's experience God together. Let him speak to you. Close your eyes. Let all the weight of the burdens of life on your shoulders right now just slouch down on your, on your chairs and just give it all to God and let him take it all. He wants to speak to you. He wants to be with you. So invite him into your heart this morning. Let's take a time to do that.
Jesus, you want our, our hearts. You want the deepest, darkest part of our hearts. You want to have the communion with us. You want to have us enjoy and experience who you are fully with freedom. God, this is such a struggle for all of us. God, forgive us for the times that we've made other things priority rather than you. God, forgive us for trading the desires that, that you've implanted in our hearts of, of, with other things of this world that is here today and gone tomorrow and that only leaves us empty. God, help us as we go forward in this life, in this beautiful life that you have given us, in this life that is moving with loud and, 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 and constantly just moving so fast, that God give us the courage to be able to find time and to make you priority. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for that unconditional love. We thank you that your hand is always reaching out to us. God, we glorify your name for all that you've done and all that you will do. We thank you for your faithfulness and your promises. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, the space and time is yours, however long you need it, for you to just spend time with God here. But for those who are exiting, please, just I ask that you would do so quietly. Thank you all.